This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Empire. When it's over, it's over. And for pro athletes, it might be over before you're ready for it to be over. So I'm providing this platform, Helping Hands, to, that allows my former teammates to better their transition out of sports or any type of athletes, minorities, etc. Like, I want to pro- use Helping Hand platform, the business model that we have came up with, and allow this to be a platform where people can easily jump into entrepreneurship. That's former NFL corner Chase Minifield, who struggled with letting go, and that's why he's lending a helping hand. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Chase is a great story of likely high draft pick to risk after collegiate injury. He survived all of it. He had an NFL career, but it didn't last. And his transition to entrepreneurship has been model worthy. We'll get to his group and the tech they use in a bit. But first, we'd like to think we are here to celebrate the future. But even I'll acknowledge that some parts of the good old days are worth preserving. We've had a couple of weird moments in sports this year already. For the first time ever, the winner of the Kentucky Derby was disqualified over an in-race infraction, and the Super Bowl might have had the wrong representative from the NFC after a clear pass interference call was ignored. But at least subjectivity was used there, which begs a question, is subjectivity good or bad in sports? Technology may be leading us to an era of robotic umpires and calls that can't even quantifiably be missed. Will Leach is one of the founding editors of Deadspin. He now writes and hosts for a variety of outlets, including New York Magazine, and he recently took on tech in sports. Hey, Will. Hey, thanks for having me. This is a fun topic to talk about. Um, Your premise of more tech in games is what? Yeah, well, it's really kind of wild because, you know, I think like with a lot of industries other than just sports, politics uh, and, uh, and, and Silicon Valley has been kind of the centerpiece of all of this. We all seem to have this idea that through technology we can find answers, and uh, somehow that if we if we can make things more efficient and use technology to give us a better a better closer look at the situation, we'll be able to find uh, we'll be able to eliminate human error or bias or subjectivity. And I kind of argued in the piece that sports is very it's a very strange to kind of put that on sports, and I think it's doing it in a way that I think it's hurting sports. So I think that we one thing we've learned I think a lot from instant replay. Now that we've kind of let that uh, opened up Pandora's box and that idea is we can have all the cameras in the world and all the technology in the world focused on trying to figure out whether I say a call was correct or not. And on, and ultimately it comes down to, uh, I think so, but people can, people, 10 people can look at the exact same thing happen and it come, come away with different answers. And I would argue it's not because, you know, the technology isn't good enough. It's because, Certain sports are, sports are inherently subjective. We are looking for objective answers in sports that aren't necessarily there. The example I used on this 
was after game one of that Rockets-Warrior series when the Rockets, when Zach Lowe uh, and Rachel Nichols uh, reported that the Rockets had put together this huge paper full of all of their advanced analytics and all of their technology that discovered that in, according to them, game seven of, this, of the NBA series between the Rockets and the Warriors last year, the Rockets should have won by nine. Now, it's really kind of crazy to think that all of this stats all of this came together, all of this work, all this technology was channeled and, and funneled in to make it so the Rockets could yell at the refs. <laughs> when you think about it, it, it really, like, it, in a lot of ways, I feel like what we're doing is technology is not getting us any closer to an objective answer. It's just allowing us to make our subjective case a little better, and I don't know if that's actually helping sports. I mean, some of it's good, though. I, the yellow line on a football field to show mm-hmm. you where a first down would be, that was an innovation, and that's great. The augmented reality that helps broadcast, that is great. I think you're talking about the possibility of removing human error when it's impossible to remove human error. Of course, as a consumer, I mean, I, for the, the advances that have been made in the production of games and the, uh, what allows me as someone watching at home frankly have a better view than most of the people that are there <laughs> like that, that is going to be what what technology in the in the television production side and as a fan as a consumer of the sport has really kind of been an unalloyed good the problem is is you know there's a difference between consumption and the actual production of the materials and uh, when it comes to these games like and the one i have to say another reason that i often don't uh, a lot, I think a lot of people aren't going to games instead of watching at home is because a lot of times when you go to a game, you spend five to ten minutes every half an hour sitting around waiting for someone to figure out whether a call is right and watching. You're basically watching other people watch television. I think that I, 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 I technology is not, not, I'm not against technology in sports, of course not, but I do think that using technology to try to come up with some utopian platonic ideal like that if there really is some actual objective truth in sports i think is a fallacy for crying out loud we've been having five years with the introduction of replay five years of this weirdly existential debate in the nfl hmm what is a catch <laughs> like it feels like we know our entire lives what a catch is like there's never been any doubt like hey what's a catch we know what a catch is right and now all of a sudden because of the technology we're all like questioning like what defines a catch i don't know exactly how that's improving sports. do you think though that that is not a problem with the tech but that is a problem with the people in the room that can't decide what the rule is of, of course yeah i absolutely but i but the problem is is rules <laughs> like the problem with rules is inherently rules always have exceptions and particularly video video has a funny way and particularly as the technology gets better has a funny way of making your rules feel inadequate and they feel like they can't capture the situation i feel like going back to the catch rule in the nfl again the problem is not that like the problem is not that technology is showing us every single frame of what happened that's just technology doing what technology does the problem is our interpretation of it, the idea of, okay, so what are we to find? Baseball has this issue a little bit with the idea of if your foot is off the base for a millisecond, uh, they can because we can now go frame by frame, if the ball is tags on you, we can call you out. On one hand, yes, like apparently, I suppose in a very wonky, uh, pedantic way, that would be classified as an out. However, like the whole point of replay was not, okay, let's get frame by frame precisely and interpret this video in exactly this right way. That we had replay to see, okay, 
did the ball beat him or not? <laughs> and it feels like we're, what, it's, what it's doing, it's not the technology, the problem. It's just it, it's opening us up into these weirdly pedantic discussions of what exactly, uh, if, of whether we can find an objective reality. And I would argue finding an objective reality, particularly in something as chaotic as sports, uh, is, is, a, is a fool there. You know, this is one of those two, and it, we've had weird polling in a lot of different circles, okay? And, and But I think if you polled sports fans and you said, do you like human error in games? I think they would lie and say no, but the reality is <laughs> they do like it, actually. That they don't mind controversy in sports when someone gets something wrong. The, the, the late great umpire Ron Luciano uh, wrote, a book, wrote a series of books in the 1980s, and they asked him about what would happen if there were ever some sort of technology that would come along and replace the umpire. And he said, well, uh, they would, they, the minute they have an opportunity to show up, everyone would call for it, everyone would want it desperately. And then eventually, when the call went against them, they would find out what that technology was, and they would beat it to death with a bat. <laughs> <laughs> like, at a certain level, they want, like we, no matter what, tech, if the technology is good, if the call goes for our team and our rooting interest, then we are very happy about technology. If it goes against us, why do we have this technology? Why don't we just use? Why don't we just use uh, the old, the old human error? That's what sports is. And I think, I think, frankly, this is not something that's just happening in sports. I think the the world is becoming increasingly polarized, and so everyone kind of comes at it from their own perspective, and that perspective is always their subjective reality. And I think sports, because one team is going against another team, is the most subjective all, of all things. And so I think trying to make it objective and trying to turn it into an objective thing is. We, the technology is always just going to be what it is. The human error is not just in someone misses a call. The human error can also be a misinterpretation of the data yes. or a misinterpretation of the video. Human error exists across the board, not just in whether Don Dickinger got a call. Well, I mean, and, and I think that's where this conversation really is. It doesn't. It's not necessarily that you're against tech, or I don't even know if that's really the position you're taking but, here, but more that we're not smart enough to interpret what the data is telling us at times. Yeah, and 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 if any, and also it's possible, like. Sports is like we, we can't agree on unified rules about this. I, I mean, to me, that that's the best. The, the part the problem is not that like oh well, introducing tech to the tech into sports has. Well, I, I liked it when all the players, all the baseball players, were three hundred and twenty five pounds and eating cheeseburgers on second base. Like for kind of like baseball, like baseball to me is a sport that it, people are constantly priming for the old days. But to me, baseball I think is being played at a higher level than it's ever been right now, in large part because of technological advancements and understanding data. And so I no, I don't think. No reasonable person would want to call against it. But I would argue that the culture of sports, however, is not quite ready to be able to, to uh, A, accept a lot of the technologies coming in, and also, B, accept that the technology, in, in a way, can only give you so many answers that really about how you interpret them. And so that, that's why I love that Ron Luciano quote, because really what he's saying is, um, uh, I, I will always be, believe my subjective reality, even if you make a machine that gives me something close <laughs> to objective reality, because I want to win. And so give me that machine and let me hit it with the bat. So that sounds like something that's happening in the world as a whole. The What is the yeah. subjective reality and the reality yeah, of, of what's being pointed out? I mean, that's, that's the world that we live in right now. Um, and, and the thing is, too. 
This could be extrapolated any way you want because you mentioned basketball and what Daryl Morey did in the Rockets and their ridiculous complaint that they would, you know, have lost this many points, but they're using data to back it up, and that's their subjective reality of it. Every single basketball game, there's rarely even a play where a foul couldn't be called. It's a subject. It's it's as subjective a game for the referees as anything on earth because of the amount of contact that occurs, and they can determine whether they want to call something or not. Players are already wearing things that track their movements. So it's not that far off that they could wear things that could essentially monitor contact. They could remove subjectivity out of referees in basketball if they wanted to and let machines call fouls. Yeah, and I'm going to bet, again, going back to the Luciano quote, uh, I'm going to guarantee you within two games, not probably not even that long, uh, players will be like, please bring back the (laughs) refs. We hate this. Please bring back the refs. And listen, then they'll yell at the refs when they come there. You know, I I think that's kind of what this is, right? Like, Like, I think that it was always an illusion. Like, we spent all of sports history yelling at umpires and yelling at referees and yelling at officials saying, you got it wrong, you're blind, Uh, there is some objective reality that you have obviously missed. And now that we have technology that is getting us, uh, I mean, to me, the baseball strike zone seems the most, I I think balls are traveling so quickly and and breaking so, so sharply, I don't know if the human eye could even, gather it like I, I feel like like you really do kind of need tech to do it but the problem is is that improvement we it's not making us actually feel like we're any closer to truth it's just making us mad in a different way i always joke this about the the k zone uh the, the base of the k zone graphic for baseball when i watched the game before and there was a pitch right on the edge of the strike zone i'd be like oh he just missed it doggone it. or oh i wish we could have got that call now that I know the little box is there, all I do is just get angry two or three times every at-bat. <laughs> so, in, in its own way, I don't know if it's always improving, improving our experience of the games trying to get an objective reality that I don't know if as fans and as participants we're always ready to accept. Um, all right, I'll leave you with this then. In saying all these things, do you feel like the modern version of the guy who walked both ways to school barefoot in the snow and liked it? <laughs> No, no, listen, I love this stuff. Like, like th- to me, you know, I've learned so much more about baseball from StatCast. And for me to, to learn, you know, to watch the advancements. Uh, to me, the, the last couple of years, the NFL's improvements, uh, the game has been a lot more fun to watch, a large, large part because people are using technological advances and they're being more innovative. And I think, obviously, the NBA, you've seen this more and more as well. No one is against the idea of, like, I'm not, a, I, I don't feel like a Luddite. Like, I feel like I, I like technology. It's just to see it's so commonly misinterpreted and commonly used. Like there is no, like there is no objective truth. We can try to find it all we want, but the human beings are not capable of standing outside as if in a laboratory environment saying, well, this is in fact the correct call. I accept it. Good day, sir. And then walk (laughs) on your way. This is not how people actually compete. And so I think there needs to be some sort of acknowledgement of that in the uh, in the in the utility in the utilizing of these technologies. And so far, I don't always see that. Um, ironically, by virtue of technology, you can read and see Will Leach in <laughs> all sorts of places. Will, it was a pleasure having you on the Future Sport Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Of course, thanks for having me. Up next, former NFL corner turned business leader Chase Minifield. This is the Future Sport Podcast.
Our guest this week is former NFL player turned tech entrepreneur Chase Minifield, who went from trying to pick off Aaron Rodgers to a Forbes 30 under 30 honoree. It is really nice to have you here in studio. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Um, at what point in your career did you start thinking about life after football? Too late. That's what I tell people. I, I start thinking too late. So um, I really got into it. I, once, once, I, once I left the Washington Redskins, I went back home thinking that, you know, I'm going to get another call. I'm going to get another opportunity. It's just a matter of time, right? That's the that's what everybody thinks. I ended up not getting a call. Training camp came. Next season was here. Haven't heard from nobody. And I still was in between. I was working for my dad at the time. I was still in between thinking that I can still play ball and knowing that, you know, I'm still in shape. I'm working out every day, all these different types of things like that. And um, the CFL called. So the CFL called, and I said, well, I haven't heard anything from anybody else. I know I can go do this, but I'm also going to start my company. So I started a company probably 2015 and went to the CFL at the same time, got hurt in the CFL in preseason and came back, and it's been a wrap since then. So it was really out of necessity. It necessity. really. So you were sitting there going, all right, I'll be playing for somebody. Yeah, definitely. I thought I was going to be playing for somebody. Um, if you know my story, uh, before I left college, I had a first second round opportunity to leave. And it got hurt before my bowl game um, of my senior year, which basically blacklisted me um, on all the draft boards So and all the draft teams. So I was undrafted, and I had to play that fighting up the roster while the time I was in Washington. So um, I always thought I had the ability of a starter. So it wasn't – they weren't just – I wasn't just keeping around just to play special teams. I was keeping around as a possible ability to start, you know. You know, this is the Sports Tech Podcast, but I'm curious because yeah. you had to fight to get back into this space. So you would have – you would have been essentially anointed a starter had you been drafted where you would have initially been drafted. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you're sitting here trying to fight just to make the team, even though everyone thought differently about you 12 months earlier. Exactly. So I, I tell a lot of people, like, they don't tell that story much about the kids that are fighting from, you know, 53-man roster from 36 down to 53. Like, the, the second team guys, the special team guys that – are literally fighting every day to make a roster. And I tell people, like, when I was in the NFL, I would wake up every day not knowing if I would have a job. Now, as an entrepreneur, I wake up trying to create jobs and how many jobs I can do. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a total shift in mindset as far as um, what entrepreneurship has done for me so far. So, but you said you started a business before you tried the CFL and got hurt again. So you were thinking about it, right? Like, even as football was kind of winding down, you were thinking about it. I know I didn't want to be working in my dad's office. <laughs> I know I didn't want to be working there. What's he for, do? Uh, he's a general contractor. Yeah. He started home building. He has a, obviously, he went from the from NFL to entrepreneurship as well. So I was working in his office. But he has a real strict, old-school mindset. Turn your phones in at the door. Give me eight strong hours at the desk. <laughs> so, you know, I, I just had <laughs> That's enough. not yeah. our generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Turn the phone in. Get out of here. What are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I had enough of that. Um, he's very successful in what he does. It's just that it wasn't, you know, a great environment, especially when I'm coming from being in the NFL and having my free time and all these different types of things like that. So I had started having an idea to, you know, start helping hands and provide opportunities for some of my family members who were struggling, a lot of my cousins were all the same age and things like that, who were struggling to get job opportunities. So initially, Helping Hands is a student housing service providing company. So we do contract work for student housing properties, uh, universities and off-campus housing. Uh, initially started as a move-in day where we thought we could provide labor to help kids move into the dorms. Um, they transitioned us into, or our clients said, we don't 
pay for this. You know, you could be a lot better off if you do the work that we need you to do, that we need done prior to the kids moving in. Yeah. So the cleaning and the painting and the maintenance and all those different types of things that they they budget for to make sure that the kids are ready for moving day. We we start doing that. Work. So the dorms themselves. Yeah, yeah, the actual dorms. So the dorms themselves aren't maintained. Well, at the, once the student moves out, everything that that student messed up throughout the year has to be fixed and rejuvenated, into, so that when Jimmy and his parents move in, they think it's a brand new space. You know, and if you've been on campus recently. These off-campus housing properties are like luxuries. They're like retreats. You got the sauna and you got the golf simulator and you got all these different types of things. So it's really a big recruiting tool now that, hey, come check out our first-year dorms. You know, it's not like where I, when, I, when I went to school, I had a water pump in my – or water heater in my uh, first-year first year dorm space. So it's a real different space. So they, they budget a lot of money to make sure these places are looking brand new again. And what's inter- but they don't have their own maintenance staff dealing with it. How did you find that void? That's interesting. Because you would think the university has already, not only have they budgeted for it, they have the staff that would take care of something like that. Yeah. So, you know, it's really weird because it's a lot, it's a very strange industry because it's the only mass exit that I that I see in real estate. You know, in real estate, you have few people that's ten, that, that leases in and then you have like probably have a hundred properties. Three people might not renew their lease. In the student housing industry, everybody leaves. Yeah. And all the dorm spaces and all the dorm rooms are empty for two and a half months. You have camps and conferences that come in and off things like that. But ideally, every single space has to be flipped, turned back into a reliable living space. So it's too much for their current staff that they keep throughout the year. Right. They have to outsource it. And so and I would imagine, that I hear this with everything with universities, the budget is tight. Mm-hmm. So there had to have been some kind of negotiation of, okay, we can do this for you, and I want to do this for you, but where's the money, right? Because you're asking us to do a lot of work in a very short period of time. They do put budget in it, and it's not, let's say if we were doing this amount of work for not a university, and it was for a traditional multifamily housing, we would probably make a lot more. But for the time that we do it, two and a half months, it's a good, you can, you can adjust your expenses based on the volume of work. Right, that makes sense. right. And to scale this, you're going to need a lot of people in the exact same window yeah. every single year, yeah. right? Well, well, what I've done is I've created a franchise type situation, a regional partner agreement for a lot of my former teammates that has how, allowed me to create a platform that helped me tremendously as far as my transition out of sports. So I'm providing this platform, Helping Hands, to, that allows my former teammates to better their transition out of sports or any type of athletes, minorities, et cetera. Like, I want to pro- use Helping Hand platform, the business model that we have came up with, and allow this to be a platform where people can easily jump into entrepreneurship. And hopefully the fact of, specifically to athletes, they don't have to go through that 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 stage I went through where you not know, all right, I can still play, but should I still play? And those yeah. those 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 days and months really hurt a hurt an athlete transitioning. Um, how did this become of interest to you? Um, like I said, initially it was to help my friends and family, and I I knew that my moving day was crazy, and I had recently I lived in Lexington, Kentucky, and I had recently seen the University of Kentucky. It was like it's still crazy, so <laughs> I'm like nothing is changing, and there's no people here, and I thought that that would be an opportunity where we could sell it. And like I said, today in today's day and age, you can really sell anything via email and different opportunities that you have out there. Just because, um, just because it's a you don't have to have a client to say that you're like clients don't make a business. You know what I'm saying? You can have a business and have no clients. So it's all about you selling it, right? You got right. you got to go out there and sell it. So I would sell it, and we never have no 
history of work. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I just want somebody to say, oh, give me an opportunity. Right? So we give me an opportunity, and then that was where they pushed us into the right direction as far as being Well, a I mean, it's the same thing as being a corner. Like, all right, let him run a route on me. Let's yeah, see what yeah. happens. You're not, not going to find out if I can do it until you put me out there and let me cover the guy. Reacting. <laughs> right. Reacting to the industry. It, it is reacting to it. I want to go back to your dad for a minute because he was a former football player turned entrepreneur, different type of entrepreneur. But what was his counsel to you as you were trying to transition from player to <laughs> That's you know, funny. Boss. Because, um, one – I think just naturally our parents want us to take the safest route. So he didn't want, he knew the, that entrepreneurship is hard. It's not an easy journey, but he understood that he had a platform where I could go into. So like the family business type situation. Yeah. right? So he's like, go ahead and, you know, take your time, but I'm sure you'll be back. Right. I'm sure you'll be back. Uh, which motivated me. But the most important thing that he said to me was when I went to the CFL and he said, you must be brainwashed. And that was his exact quote. You must be brainwashed because he thought that I felt like football needed to be my identity. Mm. And it didn't need to be. And he wanted me to see that you can be a lot more than what this game can can be can provide you. Meantime, what he does is a very tangible thing. Pick this up, put that here, build this. Yeah. You walk up to him and say, I'm going to start a tech company. Yeah. Was he kind of... You know, what's the generational gap of I'm not really sure I understand even what you're doing, especially if he's telling you when you come here, I don't even want to see you on your phone. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So we had a lot of fights back and forth in the office space about me telling him that the phone is probably the most powerful tool that we got in this building. <laughs> and we're kind of limiting ourselves by putting it in the putting it in the jar at the door. So um, ideally tech. He's very interested in tech, but he always he also knows that, you know, the way he's done it is the way yeah. he's been successful. So, I mean, I think he's always been supportive of me. My mom's supportive of me. Everybody's supportive of me. And, you know, they want to see me do well. And like I said, my tech company was actually my second company. So Easy Turn was born out of Helping Hands. So I already had a company, Helping Hands, that by then, by the time I started my tech company in 2018, that was working across the country. So we were in, you know, L.A. and Vegas and Charlotte and all my – former teammates were running these different divisions of helping hands across the country. So we were doing well um, to the seven figure level. And, you know, I actually seen the problem exist in these, in the student housing space that allowed me to create easy turn. So easy turn is a digital platform, a tech and app that um, housing operations use to better manage their vendors. So it's a vendor management system mm -hmm. for property managers. So it allows for them to give them schedules, allow for them to, invoice uh, their work, allow for them to see the progress throughout the day as uh, far as what they're doing, how much more they got to do, and all those different types of things like that. Take pictures and communicate. Where previously it was done in Excel, now there's one channel for communication, invoicing, and scheduling for managing of vendors for uh, institutions. And you keep mentioning you, you're working with ex-teammates. So yeah. you have a number of ex-teammates of, of yours that are doing this. What attracted you to bring in all of your ex-athlete colleagues to be part of all of this? Well, initially, I wanted to help them transition out of sports because I know when I transitioned, it was a very tough time frame for me. And I wanted to provide them with an opportunity that allowed for them to be, one, entrepreneurship is very scary. It's a scary stigma to entrepreneurship. And I wanted to provide them with a platform that was an easy jump for them, a soft landing. So therefore, you know, it didn't seem so scary to jump into it. And maybe they would be more pushed towards, oh, I don't need the football stuff. I, I got this opportunity here that will that that you know my former teammate who I trust is saying is working for him. So initially, my first uh, business partner, regional partner, was one of my closest friends at University of Virginia, 
And he was in Philadelphia, and I told him, like, hey, man, we're doing really good with this, and this can be duplicated at any campus, any university. It's the same issue. So I said, I'm going to sell the Philadelphia area, Temple and Drexel and UPenn, and if I get a meeting, will you go? He was like, yeah, if you get a meeting, I'll go. So I got a meeting. He went, and he ended up getting, like, two or three contracts, and he's been <laughs> doing it ever since. So it's, it's an opportunity where it can be a side hustle or your main source of income. Um, what tech are you interested in that Sorry. you haven't gotten into yet? I'm, I'm super excited about being in the tech space. Being in the service industry has been nice, but it's also a lot of headaches in the service space because obviously you got people and hiring and firing and all these different types of things like that. Um, but tech, man, it, it, it opens up my creative creative side of me to where I, I can continue to learn more about like um, AR and AI and all these different types of platforms. I want to implement all the advanced technologies into my platform that allows for easier, even if it comes to like facial recognition, because uh, I think facial recognition will be coming in pretty soon. But all the advanced technologies, I think, are just going to propel us forward. And um, I mentioned AR. I think there's a platform that we can use. I think the the uh, augmented realities and different things like that um, are extremely valuable in the space of real estate. Uh, I want to ask you about a couple of things that are big in the tech space just to see where you are coming at it as an entrepreneur and an ex-athlete. Mm -hmm. Esports. Do you do you have any specific interest in, in esports and where that is going? I am. High, my antennas are very high right now in esports. To be honest with you, I didn't know much about it until I went to CES this year. So you were not a gamer yourself. You didn't play a lot. I did play all the time, but I stopped playing just to to focus on my business. I figure if I'm not in the NFL, I need, <laughs> right. if I'm not in the NFL, there's I need no to put out these for, video games. There's no time for Fortnite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, build a business, yeah. Right, so, yeah. Hey, these checks ain't coming in no more. I need to <laughs> focus up. So uh, yeah, I was I played video games heavy while I was in the league, 2K and um, FIFA, all those type of games like that. I loved it, but yeah, I haven't played since I got cut. To be honest with you. But then I went to CES this year, and the NFLPA had a um, just a group of like a like a little section there at the CES conference in Vegas, and it was a whole bunch of esports and where they're going in this industry, and a whole bunch of investors that are talking about we're putting this much money into esports and this much money into esports, and I'm like, let me look more into this esports space, and I think it's I think it's I think it's an opportunity where it's going to be a wave of the future, especially with. Um, you know, I don't know how soon it is, but I think it can't compete with the NBA's and NFLs in that state. I think, Yet, I think I think it will. Yet. I think it will get there. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny because if you look at the audiences that they aggregate, because football here still is king. I don't care mm -hmm. what anyone says about the ratings; everyone knows it's still the number one sport here in this country by far. But then you look at the audiences that tune in and attend these esports events, and it does make you wonder if that's the next thing and it's hard to believe it but it does feel like it could be going that way well, you know what makes me think that is that like the niece my nieces and nephews who are three and four they will literally get on the youtube and watch somebody's video game that they played and you know my generation i didn't like playing i didn't like watching nobody play i would play the game and i like being playing against somebody but i did not like sitting down and watching somebody else play but the younger kids they are really like just love watching that actual action yeah. on the screen. Well, there's something about how intricate it is, too. I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, how about gambling? Are, are you paying close attention to what's happening with sports gambling as it proliferates here around the country? Um, not much. I haven't got too much into the, uh, the gambling space, um, but I do know that a lot of people in the industry are, and that a lot of my former teammates and things are heavily into it, but I haven't got into it. Yeah, I, I wonder, can athletes... Do they have, I mean, you're retired now, yeah. so it doesn't, you could if you wanted to, but current athletes who I'm sure are coming to you and asking you about ideas about business now, 
could they get involved with this or do they have to just stay completely arm's length? Because the teams are saying okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that I would stay arm's length away from it (laughs) if it was me. If it was me and I was suggesting them and they're going to ask me for my advice, I'm going to say stay arm's length away from it. If you don't need to be talked about, that's what I learned about being in the NFL on the bottom of the roster. If they don't need to talk about it, then don't let them talk. Don't give them a reason to cut you. <laughs> Life isn't fair, right? Yeah, so, yeah, so. You, you don't need to give them a reason. Yeah, that's not right? it. But it is interesting because, it, like, as you mentioned with esports, it's a gold rush, and it's happening in gambling too. And we're mm-hmm. seeing teams do it and fantasy sports. It's all getting intertwined. And I wonder if athletes have an opportunity to get involved with something like that when they're going to be the basis by which the bets are made. Right, it's really right. it's, it's interesting. Um, for you, what are you hearing from other athletes? What are they asking you? Like, what do they want to know? A lot of my, a lot of the, the the people that I'm in constant communication with is the fact that they want to start doing things outside of what they're doing. They don't want to rely on the NFL's checks every week. You know, the the, the NFL is paying people well and things like that, but they don't want to have the hard crash after the sports is over. So the things with Helping Hands that we're doing, everybody's a lot really interested from. You know, the CFL players that I've played with and the UVA players that I've played with and the Washington Redskins players that i played with. Tell me more. Tell me more. Give me more information about this situation. How can we do it? How, when I do it? I'm like, hey, when you're ready to start, just let me know. We can set you guys up. So, you know, if they're not coaching and they're looking to do other things, then, you know, Helping Hands has been a very good opportunity for them. I mean, are you seeing now this new generation that they're thinking about this a little bit differently? Because, you know, before all this startup stuff really became popularized. Yeah. You know, I covered NFL teams, and this wasn't the discussion in the locker rooms. And, and in fact, I, very rarely would you talk to anybody who even, when you said, what are you going to do next? They wouldn't even answer a question like that. They're just right. focused on their careers. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's real. I mean, you couldn't tell me that. Like, right. I was literally there, number 53, maybe 54 <laughs> on the roster. And you, I would be like, I'm playing for 10, 15, 20 years. You know, like, you can't tell me my skills are nice. So that's what I literally thought. And that's what probably most of us think. We're all... You know, hyper, hyper masculine. You know, we're all out there thinking that we're the best at what we do. That's the reason why we train every day. Um, but now, like I said, it's a shift. Like most of my investors for my tech company are my former teammates, athletes that are still in the league that are looking for tech entrepreneurship opportunities. Yeah. So, I mean, it's open. And we're seeing the NFLPA too. We had Ahmad Nassar on recently. They have startup competitions now. So it appears that the messaging is also getting out there that investment is the right way to go. It's a, it's, a, it's a good opportunity. You can see a lot of return on your investment, especially in tech-based esports. I think that, one, they see the Lyfts and they see the, the, the Ubers and all these different Facebook. They see all these tech giants that have come up really quick. Like if you look at the Forbes lists and all these different lists that are out there, there's young kids or young people that are making these billions of dollars, and it seems attainable. So, you know, being in the NFL ain't, ain't – Going to get you on that list. Let's put no, it that way. <laughs> I mean, it's not. I mean, even the reality of even stars like Rob Gronkowski are retiring yeah. early because of injuries. Yeah. You know, like it just, it ends. Yeah, it, it ends. ends. And, and, you, and you've lived it where you didn't think it was over and it was over. I just hope that kids and people in the NFL and all the kids that get drafted today, tomorrow, the next day, they realize that this is an opportunity. This is not a destination. That it's a stepping stone. Yeah. Chase Minifield, former NFL player, runs Helping Hands and Easy Turn, and who knows what's coming down the road. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for being here, Chase. Appreciate it. That will do it for us this week. Remember, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.